From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in. Glad you could join us. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, President Biden met with his Mexican counterpart, President Lopez Obrador, earlier today. For me and my administration, the U.S.-Mexico relationship is vital to achieve our goal of everything from the fight against COVID-19 to continuing to grow our economies to strengthening our partnerships and addressing migration as a shared hemispheric challenge. So is there any end in sight of the record-breaking number of illegal crossings at the southern border? We'll talk with Tennessee Congressman Dr. Mark Green. We'll also get an update on the National Defense Authorization Act. The House is advancing their version of this important legislation this week. Will Senate Democrats neglect the NDAA like they did last year? That would say a lot about their actual resolve to compete with China. That was Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell yesterday on the Senate floor. The House, dominated by the left, is using the National Defense Authorization Act to militarize abortion. Now, speaking of the military, the Louisiana Republican Party has adopted a resolution calling on Congress to secure post-war amnesty for U.S. soldiers who are awaiting court-martial or are incarcerated for alleged crimes committed while serving in combat in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel David Bull Gerfine, CEO of United American Patriots, is here to explain. Also, come the fall and winter, uh, most everyone who's uh, an expert on pandemics and uh, uh, these viruses will tell you that strong chance that we see, we'll see a resurgence of uh, the virus, whether it's the variants that we have now or new variants, and we got to be ready. And with Secretary of Health and Human Services Javier Becerra warning that a surge of COVID could be coming this fall, possibly right around election time. We'll talk about it. And the administration releasing their controversial Title IX regulations dealing with women's sports and education. Strengthening Title IX and promoting gender equality is a top priority for my administration. Every person, I mean every person, deserves a chance to realize their full potential. That was President Biden on the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And the question is, under these new regulations, is this the end of women's sports as we know it? FRC's Meg Kilgannon breaks it down later for us here on Washington Watch. And finally, the American Academy of Pediatricians, the AAP, which has rejected medical science to embrace the politics of gender transition treatments for minors, is now reportedly suppressing input from their own members. So they want to represent doctors. They just don't want to hear their opinions, especially when it conflicts with their left-wing anti-science politics. We're going to get a second opinion on the AAP's position with Dr. Jeff Barrows, Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy for Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of information and resources there for you, so be sure and check it out. Also, if you've not yet visited WashingtonStand.com, news and commentary from a biblical perspective. That's WashingtonStand.com. And just uh, by way of information, this coming Sunday, I'll be preaching at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. So if you're within driving distance, come out and join us. For more information, visit TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, comes from Psalm 36. It's verses 7 and 9. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. You know, many are searching for the fountain of youth. But in Jesus Christ, you can find the fountain of life. And in his light, all things are revealed and made known. To join us in our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. As I mentioned earlier today, President Biden welcomed Mexico's President Lopez Obrador to the White House for talks on the southern border, economic issues, climate change, among many topics. Today's meeting between the two leaders was the second to be held at the White House and comes about a month after President Obrador had declined President Biden's invitation to attend the summit of the Americas in Los Angeles. Here with me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Mark Green. He is a member of the House Armed Services Committee, Foreign Affairs Committee, Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis. 
He's a member of the House Freedom Caucus and the GOP Doctors Caucus. He represents the 7th Congressional District of Tennessee. Congressman Green, welcome back to the program. Always great to see you. Great to see you, too, Tony. Thanks for having me on. So uh, very quickly, what is your assessment of the relationship between President Biden and President uh, of Mexico? And are we going to see any changes on the border as a result of this meeting? Well, I don't think there'll be any changes on the border because our president is committed to an open border, a fully open border. So the things that concern you and I and most Americans, the fentanyl, the huge surge of people, it's just not going to. It's not going to stop. Uh, in terms of his relationship with, uh, you know, the Mexican president, I, I, I couldn't really tell you. Uh, I, I can tell you that what I know about the Mexican president is, is he's not really friends with anyone. He pretty much uh, does exactly what he wants to do. And the democracy summit, the various uh, relationships with other members of Latin America. I'm the ranking Republican on the Western Hemisphere covering Latin America and the Caribbean is really bad. Um, he's supportive of Cuba uh, to some extent. So I, I don't see a great relationship happening there. Uh, Congressman, my take on it is that he's flexing his muscles and really kind of pushing the United States around. I think, you know, sidestepping, you know, President Biden's uh, big meeting in Los Angeles. Um, I, I think he's sending a message that uh, he's not going to be playing second fiddle to the United States. <laughs> Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's that's how AMLO thinks about everything. I mean, he's he's a pretty self-confident guy. Um, I, I don't think he w- will tolerate anything from this administration, especially this administration. He recognizes it as very weak. You know, our last president was very, very firm on threatening some tariffs if Mexico didn't comply. And, of course, the president then immediately, the Mexican president then immediately put the Mexican army on the border. Uh, on both of his borders, his southern border and his northern border with us. And that made a huge difference. I went down to the border and saw them sitting there. Um, but this this president, uh, the Mexican president, is not going to respect our current president. Uh, Congressman, switching gears a little bit, uh, this administration, both the, the president in, in uh, his cabinet, as well as the House leadership, the Democratic leadership, um, fixated on abortion and transgenderism. But this week, once again, once again, the House is going to be voting on a couple of abortion bills, the Women's Health Protection Act. I'm not sure how many times you voted on that, but you're going to be voting on it again. The yeah. Access to Abortion Act of 2022. Uh, again, you're going to be voting on that. W- w- same outcome that we've seen in the past. It's going to pass the House, go to the Senate, and just sit there. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's going to happen. You'll see... Uh you know, one Democrat vote with us on those because, uh, you know, he, he he takes his faith seriously, um, Cuellar. But, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine that it won't pass. Um, all the rest of the Democrats line up on it. Um, then it'll go to the Senate. It, it really comes down to what Manchin decides to do. And in the past, he's been a blocker on codifying Roe v. Wade. So hopefully, hopefully that'll, that'll stick. Um. Not satisfied with these two bills that they're once again voting for in the House floor. And as you said, they're probably going to pass. You've got um, members trying on the Democratic side, trying to turn the National Defense Authorization Act into another carrier for abortion related measures. What's going to happen there with the National Defense Association, uh, National Defense Authorization Act? Well, the National Defense Authorization Act, they do everything they can to push uh, for example, RU86, the, the, the abortion-facient drug uh, that, that prevents implantation but doesn't pr- prevent conception. So they try to get that drug provided to the military service members. Now they want to do it for free to the family members. Um, but, you know, they'll advance their, um, their woke agenda uh, across the board in the NDAA. They try to stick all sorts of amendments on it. Usually the NDAA rides through without a lot of that. But in the past two or three years, certainly since the Democrats have been in control, they've been sticking those on. And this year they're, they're advancing, you know, the morning after pill, so to speak, um, you know, for family members for free. And, of course, this is a must-pass piece of legislation. It's a piece that passes every year, so they know that if they can get this on there, it's likely to become uh, law. In a related matter, the, uh, the Army 
short on recruitment. I mean, missing their recruitment goals. I mean, in fact, all branches of the service having that problem. But yet they're moving to push out members who refuse to get what we now know is an ineffective uh, COVID vaccine or shot. And in fact, uh, the Army has decided to cut off pay and benefits to more than 62,000 service members uh, in the the National Guard units across the country because they did not get the COVID jab. Uh, You're you're actually uh, taking action on that. Yeah, so this is, first let me kind of quantify how ridiculous this is. You know, the Army lowered its end strength by 12,000 people this year, not because, you know, we needed fewer troops. I mean, we got the pacing threat in China. They talk about that all the time. But they're cutting the end strength because they can't meet recruiting goals. They can't meet recruiting goals because kids that are 18 to 25 don't think they need the vaccine. And honestly, they don't. They're not at risk for COVID death so, and serious outcomes with COVID. And you've got 62,000 guardsmen. I mean, that's the equivalent of four divisions of people. Uh, basically being thrown out all at one time. Uh, the, the impact on readiness to our guard units is incredible. And we talked to these, uh, I, I talked to a brigade commander the other day. He basically said, I can't recruit mechanics. Um, they can work at Wendy's and make more money. I mean, these guys don't seem to really care about the strength of our military. But, but, but these are the guys who defund the police, so what do we expect? Um, they, they support the bad guys and not the good guys. And I think unless you're close to or involved in the Guard, most people don't realize how our military relies on National Guard now. They're rotating in and out. I mean, if you're in the National Guard, you're going to be deployed at some point because of the lack of permanent personnel strength. Yeah, the force structure is set up to use those guardsmen and and reservists, so Navy Reserve, Army Reserve. You know, those reservists and guardsmen are critical to – the U.S. military's force protection, force structure, and force protection of the country. So it's uh, it makes no sense at all. But again, you know, this is the president who's going to Saudi Arabia to ask for more more oil, while he's attacking the U.S. oil and gas industry and giving a million barrels to China. That pacing yeah. threat that we just talked about. So there, yeah. this they can't seem to get anything right in this administration. And every single thing they do is upside down. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. illogical and makes no sense. Very quickly, got 20 seconds left. Uh, Secretary Becerra saying that we could have a surge of COVID in the fall. My prediction, it comes just around election time. Will yeah. they fool us twice? They did it once, but will they do it twice? No, I think most, most of the states have, have put down their foots on uh, feet on mail, uh, mail-in ballots. Georgia did that. Several of the others did that. Uh, no, we're not going to be uh, we're not going to be fooled this time. There there will be COVID. And this this you know virus mutates, so there are going to yeah. continue to be new mutations. But but we don't have to go into hiding. We don't have to change right. our election structure to accommodate it. Congressman exactly. Mark Green, always great to see you. Thanks so much you for uh, joining us. Appreciate all you do on Capitol Hill. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, uh, he's one of the good guys up there fighting for us. All right, coming up. The American Academy of Pediatricians is suppressing the ability of its own members to comment on a resolution that calls for a review of its stance on gender affirmation procedures for minors. What are they afraid of? Well, we're going to talk about it next. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. 
First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Lots of resources there, contact information for you as well. And I would encourage you to contact your members of Congress regarding these two abortion bills are going to be coming up this week in the House, the Women's Health Protection Act of 2022, that's H.R. 8297, and the Access to Abortion Act of 2022. I'm sorry, that one is 8297. The other one is 8296, but just you can use the term. But anyway, go to TonyBerkins.com, and we have all the information there. For you, of course, this is in reaction to the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. All of a sudden, now they're admitting that this was never the law of the land, so they have to codify it into law. They've been relying on the courts to impose this on the nation. So now they want to pass the legislation. They've got a, a left-wing majority in the in the House, but be praying and uh, and hopefully it will stop in the Senate as it has in the past, and we'll hold the line until uh, November. All right, science in its most pure form is supposed to be unafraid of the truth, unafraid of criticism and critique. Perhaps this is a class that the leadership of the American Academy of Pediatricians uh, skipped in medical school. The AAP, uh, they've openly embraced the unsound medical practices like so-called gender-affirming surgery for children suffering from gender dysphoria. This is disturbing. The Academy's efforts to promote this dangerous treatment is going as far as to effectively silence dissenting voices within their own ranks. But do do not be mistaken, the AAP does not speak for all pediatricians. Folks like the Christian Medical and Dental Associations are setting the record straight on the harms of gender-affirming care. Joining me now is Dr. Jeff Barrows. He's the Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy at the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Dr. Barrow, welcome uh, back to Washington Watch. Always good to see you. Tony, great to be with you again. Thanks for having me back on. Okay, just lay out for our viewers and listeners what's happening. Well, as you briefly mentioned, in 2018, the AAP released what they call a policy statement on the treatment of children with gender dysphoria. And unfortunately, that statement was quite, I would say, liberal. It was promoting both medical and at times surgical transition of children that have uh, are suffering from gender dysphoria, which is a very real entity. And one of the Mm -hmm. policies of the AAP is that their policy statements must be 
renewed every five years or they lapse. And so since it was released in 2018, the time for it to lapse is coming up at the end of this calendar year. And so there has been some effort on the part of some of the members to introduce a resolution that would ask that the AAP, prior to renewing this 2018 resolution, would conduct an extensive review of the medical literature, the medical evidence, to really see what is the best science in regards to using medicine and uh, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, in these children suffering from gender dysphoria. So this is really a request very much along the lines of what the UK is doing actually right now. And it's interesting that the UK is finding that the science that they have been supporting up until now has not been all that good. So unfortunately, the AAP is suppressing these efforts by uh, very concerned members to, to, to conduct these, these investigations. Okay, so Dr. Barrows, just to be clear, you're simply asking, let's look at the science, let's look at the medical information, let's see if this is the best uh, prescription for gender dysphoria. And is that, is that correct? That's correct. They're looking for a review of the literature, and that's, that's all they're looking for, the science. It doesn't sound very controversial to me when you're talking about doctors and those that are pursuing science, um, but you said they're suppressing. So what are they doing to suppress uh, the voice of their members? Well, you know, it's interesting that you asked that. The, the resolution that is calling for this extensive study is called Resolution 27. But I've been in contact with many members of AAP, the pediatricians, and there is a lot of secrecy and, frankly, a lot of fear around this, which is totally unwarranted for a medical society that is looking out for what is best for their patients. And so what is happening behind the scenes, apparently, is that uh, normally, the AAP members would be able to introduce comments on these various resolutions. And there are actually 45 different resolutions dealing with a whole host of different topics that are before the AAP right now. But Resolution 27 is not an option for members to comment on. Only Resolution 28, which is in essence a, an, an update and a uh, a renewal of the current 2018 resolution, again, uh, advancing gender transition using puberty blocker, blockers and cross-sex hormones. So it's, it's disturbing on a number of levels. It's disturbing that members can't weigh in. It's also disturbing because there's a lot of fear among, among members to speak out on this, and there's a lot of secrecy happening. I mean, that's pretty blatant. If uh, they'll take comment on everything else but this one resolution, that... Uh... Not, they're not even very subtle about this. Uh, Dr. Barrow, very quickly, remind our listeners, do, do we actually know how these gender treatments will affect kids as they mature into adults? Well, that's the problem, Tony. Uh, there hasn't been really good what we call prospective studies to see the, the effect, first of all, of what's known as puberty blockers, because that's the first medication that would be given to a uh, to a child that's just beginning to enter puberty. And the puberty blockers are very effective. They do stop the onset of puberty. The problem is when you start giving them for periods of time longer than six months, no one really knows the long-term impact, especially on the important uh, concept of calcium deposition in the bones. These drugs stop that. And so what's the long-term effect? Of, do these children then grow up? And are they able to resume the normal amount of bone density? Is there other problems? Cross-sex hormones also cause infertility. Uh, they have all kinds of side effects that we really don't know very well, again, because good, solid pros prospective studies have not really been performed, especially those that go long-term. This is crazy. Science has been hijacked by politics. Uh, and what's at stake here is the well-being of, could be, an entire generation if we don't stop this madness. Dr. Barrows, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to, uh, to see you. We've got information at the website for doctors and others that are watching in terms of uh, how they can contact you and your organization. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you again. All right, folks, check out the website for more info. Stick with us. We're coming back with more. Washington Watch right after this.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we've highlighted many, many times on this program, the U.S. military is having major recruitment problems. We were just talking about this with uh, Congressman Green. And we've discussed how this problem has been uh, made worse by things like transgenderism, wokeness, and COVID shot mandates. I mean, driving members out because they're, qual- they're qualified, but they just won't get this shot, which we now know is not effective. Now, one area that's not getting a whole lot of attention is the military justice system. In fact, a lot of this I didn't even know about. But it's been politicized, and it's destroying the lives of U.S. service members, as well as the morale and military effectiveness of our troops. Joining me now to discuss this is retired Marine Corps officer and U.S. Marine combat veteran, Lieutenant Colonel David Bull Gerfine. He now serves as vice chairman of the board and CEO of United American Patriots. Colonel, welcome to the program. Thank you, sir. It's an honor to be here. All right, so we, we talk a lot on this program about the military and how, you know, the, it just it's become woke. But I will tell you, I have not talked a lot about what's happened in our military justice system, which a lot of people don't realize is a separate track. It's not the same as, uh, as our court system. So what's going on? We've got a lot of combat veterans that have been court-martialed or awaiting court-martial. Tell us about what's happening. Thank you. So, Tony, like you, I'm a United States Marine, and uh, when I first heard about this, I was in shock and disbelief and uh, really turned away from this problem because I, I love my country, love the Marine Corps, love my service, and I, I really didn't believe what was happening. And it literally took this organization three years to get me on board, and it wasn't until my wife and I prayed about it, and we realized that there was something that we could do to really address this and really look at the truth. And what we found was just shocking, uh, where we have U.S. servicemen still incarcerated now uh, who are put in under the Biden-Obama administration, where you had President Biden coming out and saying, we must prosecute these cases aggressively, which that's unlawful command influence. What he should be saying is investigate, but he didn't. And then had the Secretary of Defense and Panetta saying penalty is unable. And uh, this is something that 
uh, I think we may have froze. I apologize. Where you know he said the death penalty was on the table before any charges were even brought against these warriors. Investigations are not being done properly. You have bodies being buried and not being exhumed for forensic evidence. And then you have Taliban being flown in to testify against our warriors. And, and Tony, it's not like they bring them to Disney World. No, they actually brought them to SeaWorld afterwards. And we have the receipts to show this. It's shocking. It's appalling. It's not what our nation expects. And fortunately, we've been able to, we were able to work with President Trump's administration and get many of these warriors pardoned, but there's still quite a few that are incarcerated. And this is where Louisiana is leading the press to make sure that we end up having um, the, uh, having all of our uh, uh, post-war amnesty for these warriors to ensure that all of these warriors are let go just the way we provided amnesty for the Taliban. So these are these are combat veterans who were charged with war crimes, uh, crimes uh, in the in the line of of combat. Uh, give us some examples of what we're talking about here. So there, there's many different examples, uh, but a few come down to the enemy making accusations against our warriors and us just presuming guilt as opposed to presuming innocence, which is the foundation of our. Oops, I think we lost him there for a, a moment. Let's see if we can uh, get him back. Um, I think what he was saying there is the, the, the critical piece here is that we have, in, in one case, we brought over the Taliban, the very people we were fighting against, to testify or make accusations against our warriors accusing them of crimes. All right, Colonel, we got you back. Um, so I was just saying that, that that's okay, what I shocking apologize, me is. Tony. I... That, that, that's fine. That's fine. No problem. So, so the, we've got the Taliban. We're bringing them over to make accusations and testify against our service members. I mean, that's, I don't know. I don't know if it's unheard of, but it's certainly shocking. It is shocking. As a matter of fact, last night, I just went to dinner with one of the warriors that we were able to get out of prison. And this individual was accused of murder, yet the evidence showed that he acted in self-defense. And what we find is that the prosecutors, they hide this evidence. This is prosecutorial misconduct where they do not allow the defense to see this exonerating information. And this is where our warriors who are defending our rights, they should have their rights preserved at, at minimum, as well as any citizen in the United States, but they don't, and they're being mistreated. And even people don't realize for if somebody's accused of murder here in the United States, that they end up having have to have a, a unanimous jury convict them. That's not true in the right. military. They only need two thirds. So it's a very lopsided system that plays to the administration or the leadership. Colonel, we're up against the break. I want you to stick around for just a second. I'm going to come back because I want to finish this thought on the other side of the break. Got one more question for you. So, uh, so stick with us, and um, and we're going to come back to uh, to Colonel Gerfine here in just a moment. And then we're going to be joining Meg Kilgannon to discuss the administration releasing their new Title IX regulations. Could it be the end of women's sports as we know it? We're going to be talking about that as well on the other side of this break. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss a single moment of Washington Watch. We're back after this. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. 
With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, we're talking with retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel David Bull Gerfine. He is uh, the CEO of United American Patriots. Uh, Colonel, thanks for sticking around. I I wanted to, I I, I think I know the answer. I know the answer to this. It's, um, It's probably the same reason we have all this wokeness in our military, transgenderism, all this other stuff that is chipping away at our readiness. But why? Why has our system of military justice been politicized, and why are we prosecuting our warriors? So there's a combination of a legacy system the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which has not kept pace with how we treat civilians. And it really has to come up to speed. It was a system that was put in place for what was the perception of good order and discipline, but it was really to expedite discipline on the battlefield. We no longer need a system like that anymore because these trials take years where we have expert witnesses and all the rest so that the system either has to come up to speed or it has to be replaced. But then you have the politicization, which you're talking about, where you have the presumption that our warriors are somehow bad or evil and our enemy is somehow good. And this is a real displacement of our values. And we have to realize that those warriors that volunteer to serve on behalf of our nation are really good and honorable people, and at minimum, even if they should do something wrong, deserve to have their rights preserved and the presumption of innocence. And then if found guilty by a fair and impartial jury with all of the evidence, then they will be held accountable. But all of that Mm -hmm. has to happen first. Now, part of this, I think, as you alluded to, is the nature of warfare as we in this asymmetrical warfare where we have, you know, we're fighting terrorists who often are hidden among the civilian population. And they also employ civilians uh, to do some of their work. And so it makes it very difficult for our warriors in those urban settings. This is not like you're out in the field any longer, you know, shooting, uh, you know, like in World War II in these major uh, field offensive. These are this is house to house. This is uh, urban combat. You're, you're correct. And the other challenge you have is that 
you know, for example, we have a warrior who's sitting in prison who was accused of killing civilians. And he'll acknowledge he did kill civilians as he was prosecuting a conflict to take out enemy combatants. Now, when that happens, we call those civilians collateral damage. Now, it's not pretty and it's not anything to brag about. And it's something that we should be remorseful about, which he is. But at the same time, when the United States government drops a bomb on a wedding party and kills 60 civilians to take out one high value target, not one general is ever held accountable. So the the point is, if you're going to be just, be just. And you can't have these enlisted soldiers being held accountable for things that we do not hold our senior leadership accountable for. And this is where this whole post-war amnesty bill has to come in. World War II ended in less than four years. These two conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan lasted for right. 20, and we lost. And so as such, the civilians must take accountability, and the warriors must be let go just as we did with our enemy, the Taliban. That kind of reminds me of that drone strike after the withdrawal from Afghanistan, where we found out later that that was uh, civilians uh, that were killed. And um, exactly, as you said, I'm not sure anyone's been uh, put in prison for that one. Uh, Colonel, let me ask you this final held accountable. Yeah. So it's it's like you said, it's got to be fair uh, across the board. And it's difficult in these things. No one said war is pretty. How can people find out more about the work that you're doing? Thank you. Please go to our website, which is UAP.org. That's UnitedAmericanPatriots.org. Or look into this post-war amnesty bill, which right now is being picked up by the Justice for Warriors Caucus, which is led by Congressman Louis Gohmert, Congressman Gozar, Congressman Norman, and many other congressmen are now coming on board to make sure that justice is served for all of our warriors. All right, Colonel, thanks so much for uh, joining us in uh, Simplify. All right, uh, check that out. And uh, we also have a link at TonyPerkins.com. Let me remind you, it's time to register before it fills up the 2022 Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Pray, Vote, Stand for Life. It's going to be September the 14th through the 16th at the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. To register or to find out more, go to PrayVoteStand.org slash summit. Or, as always, one-stop shopping at TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I mentioned earlier today, the Biden administration released proposed rule changes to Title IX that um, torches longstanding protections and equal opportunities granted to women. Now, this was done to continue the administration's obsession. I mean, obsession. It's the only way I can describe it, with radical transgender ideology. Strengthening Title IX and promoting gender equality is a top priority for my administration. Every person, I mean every person, deserves a chance to realize their full potential. That was uh, President Biden again on the 50th anniversary of Title IX, and he is true. He is speaking truth on this occasion. It is a top priority for his administration. Now, not only will these rule changes deny women a fair playing field in sports and open the door for all kinds of abuses in showers, bathrooms, in dorm rooms, they will also thwart freedom of speech in classrooms and on campuses across America. Now, the, the document outlining these proposed changes runs several hundred pages and was just released this morning. So there's still a lot to digest, but I wanted to get a, a quick rundown to you as soon as possible. So joining me now to help analyze and explain what this means for you, for your children, your grandchildren, is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council and a former member of the Trump Department of Education. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right. I know you have been tracking this announcement, waiting for the official rule to come out. It is now out. What do we know? It is now out. This is the document. (laughs) It's a huge, huge rewrite of Title IX. And a lot of this document is about uh, sexual harassment procedures and Title IX as a uh, essentially a court function on college campuses. But what I think our listeners are really going to be most interested in are the redefinition of three terms, uh, sex to mean gender identity, 
they redefined pregnancy and pregnancy-related conditions to include abortion and, ab and ab abortion services as part of the definition of pregnancy. And they redefined parent to include in loco parentis, or the school, as part of the definition of parent. So this is essentially the querying of Title IX. This shows you that you have um, f people who are Gnostic fundamentalists, essentially, writing the rules at the Department of Education now in this administration. They are committed to redefining um, everything about everything, uh, smashing the binary, as the queer theorists like to say. I, I don't even know where to start, but I'm going to go back to the last point that, that you brought up. That this, and I want to make sure I heard you correctly, that this now changes the definition of parent to include the school? Yes. There are traditionally four or five categories of parent, parent step-parent, foster-parent, guardian, um, that, of course, we can all understand that in an imperfect world, we need to define these things. But they go on to add two additional uh, uh, options for defining parent to be in loco parentis, which is the school, and then anybody applying for custody of a child can be held to be that child's parent. So this is um, d an expansion. What they love to say is that we're being inclusive, and this is going to ensure equity for everyone. But what it does is make the definitions that they're using meaningless, essentially, right. by by changing them entirely. So, I'm, 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 I have not read through this yet. So I'm I'm honestly asking questions here that I don't know the answers to, which is sometimes dangerous, <laughs> uh, especially on uh, live programming. But so this would, to me, would be like suggesting and moving toward the government becoming the parent of the child. That way, squeezing out the parents so that they can make determinations or the child can come to them and say, I want to do this, and they can say, we got you covered. Yes, and when they define sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity, meaning that sex is no longer a binary male or female uh, definition, but it is including any internal sense of your feeling of yourself and whatever gender that might be, then this definition of parent being expanded to include the school takes on a whole new and very dangerous application. Because when a child, if a child were to go to a school and say, I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body, and I would like to have a medical treatment to achieve my dream of being a boy because I know that that's my internal sense of gender, that means it's it, it, possibly that the school could act in the place of the parent because they're now defined as the parent to ha to make these kind of um, treatments available to children. Especially if the, the, the child tells the school officials or the counselor that my parents are hostile toward me, they do not accept me as I am, and I cannot tell them. Right. And and that's that would be all the cover that the school would need. So, Meg, uh, these Title IX provisions, who do they apply to? What institutions? Title IX applies to, originally applied to educational institutions, but Title IX has applications across federal agencies that... Um, you know, civil rights law is designed originally, the intention is to honor the dignity of the human person. And as human beings, we fail always to protect people from, uh, from discrimination based on age, based on race, based on sex. And so t the Title IX canon of law is designed to protect people from discrimination. And so it can apply broadly across the agencies. Um, what this demonstrates is a fundamental misunderstanding of the dignity of the human person that's held by this administration. So what type of educational institutions will be bound by these rules? Educational institutions that accept federal money will have to be bound by these rules. They're, they are still maintaining a religious exemption for um, student for educational institutions that are controlled by religious organizations, but that is under attack um, in the courts by um, radical groups that want to say that if you take federal student loans, you're getting federal money, and so you have to you're not exempt from Title IX, uh, even if you're not you know you're privately funded. So will the states have any recourse when it comes to 
uh, elementary and secondary education, will they be impacted by this? Yes, this will apply to to K to 12 schools as well. This isn't just about colleges, um, especially the schools, Tony, that receive a, tr a large portion of their budget from the federal government. You know, the county where I live is a wealthy county, and the federal imprint, we could not take federal money and it really wouldn't make that big of a difference to our budget. But in very poor areas and Title I schools, they rely substantially on federal funding and so this can really be used to bully those schools into submission. And as we've seen in the past, with very few exceptions, one, the only exception I can think of is the Trump administration that un would undo these bad policies. Most of the time, the Republicans, we saw this in the Bush administration, they just simply push the pause button, but they never undo uh, the bad provisions. So they know if they get this in, that this will be there most likely to, to stay. So with that in mind, Meg, what can be done to stop this? What, what can people do now? Well, there is a comment period. This is a proposed, it's a notice of public rulemaking. So this is a proposal and there will be a comment period that ends September 12th. So in the coming days, we will have a, a portal available for our listeners and supporters to send co their comments to the department um, to, to let them know that we, don't, we, we, we want to preserve the rights of women to their private spaces. We want to preserve women's sports. We want to preserve parental rights. And we don't want to define pregnancy as abortion. So we'll be um, back and back with a with information on how to do that very soon. Well, and we we will uh, as we're able to digest this, we'll do more, and uh, we'll have another program on this. But you know, just to your point, Meg, polling indicates that most Americans disapprove of this radical agenda. I mean, why is the Biden administration so obsessed with pushing forward with this? Well, I think some of the people in the administration truly believe that they are just including everyone, that they are being equitable. But we know there's a big difference between equitable and equal, and that being equal under the law um, isn't the same thing as, as uh, decreeing from on high that everybody has to be the same, right? And so th yeah. this, is, this is their effort to include everyone, and it's going to end up not including actual men and actual women. Right. And it's going to deprive women of opportunities and it's going to stifle freedom of speech yes. and religious exercise across the country. Uh, Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. And uh, as I said, we will be talking more about this in the days ahead as we're able to, uh, to digest these hundreds and hundreds of pages of proposed rules. Always good to see you, Meg. Thanks for having me. Folks, always good to see you as well. And uh, I will be back on this topic. Meg will be joining me again later. So until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.